This week's episode contains themes of nudity and death. If that isn't your cup of tea, that's fine, and we'll see you next week. Alright, we ready to rock and roll, kids. We are ready to rock and roll indeed. Woo! Alright! Welcome to Spilling Tea, the podcast where two friends sip tea and spill literature's dark histories, and that's the first time I've ever done it without reading it! I'm Woo! So you. Jade has to write out every single week in her little notebook <laughs> everything she needs to say, or she can't speak to the, to the microphone. That's because I'm illiterate. I can't read, I can't speak, I'm deaf. Alright, hi, I'm Jane. Um, I'm Mackenzie, and you know what we said earlier, the podcast where... Two friends sip tea. It's a lie. It's We're, a lie. We have three friends. We have a special <laughs> guest star. Is she our number one fan? Can we I, say I that? think she's our I number one. She's fan. our number one fan. She's our our only fan. <laughs> <laughs> our most consistent fan. <laughs> the only one who listens. <laughs> so, hi, most consistent fan. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hello, friends. My name is Shelby. I don't go here. <laughs> <laughs> Shelby is a kind, kind listener that uh, actually is Mackenzie's friend from home. Yes, we went to high school together. So many years ago. So many years ago. How did you guys meet? So, my parents are both giant history nerds and work at a historic site, and Shelby is also a giant history nerd. It's true. It's very true. And we met because we were both at the same reenactment. And she was like part of our our camp group. Yes, oh. I was hanging out with one of my teachers and like Mackenzie's family. And Mackenzie and I were both tiny book nerds, and we sat by the fireplace and read by the light of the 18th century fire. <laughs> I'm sorry. And that's literally the first time that we ever really met. And then yes. several years went by, and yes. both of us were then employed by this same historic site. And then we hung out a lot that summer because we were two of the only girls. And we look very similar, and our parents got us mixed up a lot back yeah. in our youth, so we started <laughs> hanging out more to confuse them. them. At one point, we actually did, we both danced in high school, and yes. we did a duet together at our dance studio for the purpose of confusing our parents. We got the exact same costume and did yep. our hair the same way, yep. and we switched sides of the stage a lot throughout the dance. It was fantastic. It was really fun. <gasps> I love that. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> See, it was always hard because a lot of, like, I only had one friend from home who, like, were pretty similar looking, but she has mm -hmm. a very, very round nose, Yeah, and I do not. Um, But, like, we used to do the same shit, yeah. but, like, it's a good time good time but yeah you guys still look pretty similar <laughs> it was better when we had the exact same length hair the hair was and our one. style was almost identical for a bit this so is your behind. shirt like you well, gave yeah. it to me like our style is still the same fair, <laughs> fair all right should we actually move to the literature we are covering we so shall. this week we are covering we are covering the emperor's new clothes by hans christian anderson we wanted to have a little bit of a funky break yeah Take some time and do a final season, so we need to <laughs> we need some positive energy, positivity that only our Posit boy Hans Christian Andersen can give us. Positivity. I'll see myself out. Yeah, please. You can just. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. So, do we want to let's let's ch let's chat about the tea? What, yeah. what tea are we drinking today? So, our tea this week is um. The Da Hong Pao tea, and it is from uh, China. It is one of the most expensive teas in the world. It costs more than uh, 30 times its weight in gold. Oh my god. And in 2002, a wealthy purchaser paid uh, 180,000 yuan, almost $28,000, for just 20 grams of the, de of the Da Hong Pao tea. So, yeah. Wow. All right, let's, let's hear that so ASMR let's hear that ASMR for. Oh, thank you, thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you, thank you. Let's get some more. I'm excited. I'm excited I'm for so this. Excited. It's so it's so expensive. Uh, I'm kind of so terrified. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it's shot to the back of my throat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
joking a little bit. Wow, but the flavors are exquisite That's on a, that. It's a I delicious don't tea. I don't know I, quite what it is. But I'm not entirely sure either. Also, how did, how did we pull this one with our college budget? Hey, guys. Yeah? Guys? Yeah? The, there's no tea. <laughs> the emperor has no tea. Yeah. What? <laughs> I am shocked. I am appalled. Oh I am guess. You mean you mean to tell me that this very expensive tea that we're drinking doesn't exist? Yes. We aren't actually drinking it. Maybe it's one of those things where only the people who are like fit to drink it can drink it. Right? Right? Is that how this works? I guess we're not fit. <laughs> that was the shittiest joke ever. <laughs> Guys, I'm so sorry. I just really didn't want to come up with a tea this week. And I told Jane last night, I was like, so, what if there's no tea? And that's the joke. What if the tea is there's what no tea? What if the tea is there's no tea? There's and no she tea. laughed and then said yes. <laughs> The kicker is that we actually do have tea in our cups because we get thirsty. It's just not a particular tea that's relevant. <laughs> I hate us this weekend. <laughs> right. Well, the, the, I actually do kind of want to talk about this tea. Please it's really do. I'm actually very interested. We're, yeah. we're never going to drink it. It's no, too it's much. too I expensive it's like for me. I can, college tuition. I can barely afford, like, Tivana tea. You're like, never going to be able to afford Tivana tea in large quantities. <laughs> no, I can't Hashtag English majors. Hashtag future librarian. I'm sorry. Hopefully my private pa practice will make up for both of us. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. So the original Da Hung Pao is so expensive because there are hardly any of the original tea trees left. Oh. And an antique versions are very valuable, almost priceless. And it's really it's so exclusive that specialist brokers navigate the rare find world of China's ultra wealthy tea collector collectors, collecting those who need to sell with those who wish to buy. So it's like wild. So there's like a black market almost yeah, for this tea. Yeah, it's you just have a you gotta have a dealer. Like it's wild. So <laughs> this is a BBC travel article. So I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. I was literally looking up world's most expensive tea. That's that's pretty. <laughs> that, I thought that was my good joke because you know he thinks he's getting the good clothes. Wow, you're. You're so funny. It's so unbelievable. I can't. Yeah, believe how I cannot I comprehend how funny you are. Oh my god. Ha 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 ha. Ha. Stop. Stop for God's sakes. I will kick you out of this room. I don't need this today. Uh, please tell me about Hans Christian Anderson. Do we want to talk about the story first or the dude? Let's talk about the man. The man, the myth, the legend. Let's talk about the man, the myth, Hans the legend. Christian Anderson. Yes. So Hans Christian Anderson um, was born on the 2nd of April in 1805. He's a Danish author. And he was um, a really famous, he wrote plays and novels and poems, but he's best remembered for his fairy tales. Which did, is, he, did he also write The Little Mermaid? The Little Mermaid, um, there's a lot. We'll did get. he write up the little, the really fucked up Little Mermaid? That's the original Little yeah. Mermaid that oh, he wrote. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy's fucked up. And Please tell me he smoked a lot of, like, opium or something. <laughs> God. His fairy tales, of which no fewer than 3,381 works have been translated into more than 125 languages. Jazzy. And they've become culturally embedded in the West's collective consciousness, readily accessible to children, but present... Presenting lessons of virtue and resilience in the face of adversity for mature readers as well. And his most famous ones, this is what we'll get to kind of the ones most people have heard of, mm -hmm. is The Emperor's New Clothes, yep. mm -hmm. The Little Mermaid, yep. The Nightingale, The Snow Queen, which mm -hmm. Frozen is based on, yep. Elsa, The Ugly Duckling, The Little Match Girl, and Thumbelina. The Little Match Girl? That was so girl. sad. Is I'm it? seeing a little, like, animated short version of it. It's this little girl who, like, lives in an alleyway, and she's supposed to be selling matches oh, to make a and she keeps yeah. striking them and then, like, huddling to the warmth for a bit, and she's, like, happy for that fleeting moment. And then she runs out of matches and dies, I think. The fuck, <laughs> There was a reference to the little match girl in the play I directed this summer. Wow. There's a reference. And my sister played the little match girl. Oh! <laughs> like, the little one. Oh, no. Isn't there a 
reference to the Little Match Girl and the Sisters Grimm also? There might be. I actually haven't read the Sisters Grimm in a while. I think it's in like the third or fourth book there's a reference. I don't know. I think about those books on the red. A lot. They were so... Have you ever read the Sisters Grimm series? I don't think so. Oh, oh they're really it's Sabrina good. and Daphne Grimm, right? That's yes. Their names. And they think something so. with their grandmother. We're not talking about the Sisters Grimm books right now. We will one day. We will one day. They're That'd really good. That'd be fun. But we'll do a whole, like, six-month series on, on the Sisters Grimm. <laughs> Honestly, I'm pretty there's sure enough. There's, like, over ten of them. Yeah, I think there's 13. Yeah. They're my that favorite book series. I'm Those sorry. So I'll good. shut up. We can move on. Okay. So, yeah, he was born in Odense, Denmark, and he was an only child. And this oh, is, I see, thought, that's already a precursor. <laughs> I thought this was kind of funky. So, Anderson's father, also named Hans... Yep, because we all want him to be named Hans. Like my family, everyone's name is John. John and Jane. John to Jane. John to Jane. Jane to John. I, you know I have to name my firstborn John, regardless of the gender. <laughs> gender. Yeah, it's just John. It's just John. Gosh. John, John. Well, John, John. Hans the Elder, Hans Christian Anderson's father. I need medication. Considered himself related to nobility. And, um, the investigations have totally been disproved, considered but himself. he, like, considered, he very much considered himself part of the are, noble class. Are we talking about, like, cardboard, Burger King, like, crown <laughs> and, like, cape? So, apparently, like. his paternal grandmother had told his father that their family had belonged to a higher social class, or, and that was enough for him to consider himself related to nobility. That just sounds like racist undertones. It just sounds bad, is what it sounds. Yeah. You do a DNA test. But Ooh, also, a per- it keeps going. A person. <laughs> a person. <laughs> I know we talked about this, but like. Woo! <laughs> stir up discourse on this book podcast. God, really. This wholesome, this book, wholesome podcast book podcast where we talk about murder, death, and other stupid ass shit. <laughs> Gosh. But it gets wilder. A persistent speculation suggests that Anderson was an illegitimate son of um, King Christian VIII, but this notion has been challenged, not disproved. Challenged, not disproved. Okay, we need a DNA test. Yeah, honestly, we need to go find Han Christian Anderson's, like, corpse and, like... (laughs) You are not about to mutilate. (laughs) I'm not gonna do it. I have too much respect for Hans Christian Anderson. Do you? I think I do. I think he's a pretty good dude. (laughs) <laughs> All right, moving, moving on. on. Um, Anderson's father, who'd received an elementary school education, introduced Anderson to literature, reading to him the Arabian Nights. Anderson's mother, Anne-Marie Anders Datter, yes, <laughs> was an illiterate washerwoman. <laughs> Following her husband's death, she remarried, and Anderson was sent to a local school for poor children where he received a basic education and had to support himself working as an apprentice to a weaver and later to a tailor. And at age 14, he moved to Copenhagen to seek employment as an actor. Having an excellent soprano voice, he was accepted into the Royal Danish Theatre. But his voice soon changed. A oh, colleague shit. At the theater, Puberty! Oh, no. A colleague <laughs> at the theatre told him that he considered Anderson a poet. Taking the suggestion seriously, Anderson began to focus on writing. Okay, see, that's just, that's a sad, sad choir teacher being like, Oh, no, his balls dropped. Now his voice changed. Ah, uh, you could always do writing! Well, you know, that teacher was right, so... I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of. And uh, Jonas Collin, director of the Royal Danish Theatre, held great affection for Anderson and sent him to a grammar school, persuading King Frederick VI... I can't read Roman numerals, so it takes me a second with all these king names. To pay <laughs> for part of the youth's education. Wait, how... Just because he was in the Royal Choir, he got his tuition paid? the director paid? of the Royal Danish Theatre. I guess he's got his... His, you know, he can... I didn't think of that. Yeah. 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 What the hell? I, I just know. gotta call up all my queens. Queens and kings. <laughs> the gender neutral term queens. for kings and queens. For a general ruler of the land. Queen. He's a queen. A queen. A queen. Guys, I got like three hours of sleep and then went to exercise and yeah, I only been doing... at 7.30 this morning. I was like ready to go. And I was like... <laughs> I was the gremlin in bed till 10, so like... Oh, uh, because that's still better than Better than Shelby who didn't realize that her... If her if her bus got here at one, that meant it likely didn't leave at one. I thought I had the whole morning to just hang out, and then I went to check what time my bus leaves, and it was 9 o'clock, and it leaves at 10 o'clock, so then I had to run across the entire world to get to this bus station Yep, and hop on this bus really quickly, and we were full of panic for a bit. 
Or yeah. at least enough to work out. You <laughs> <laughs> had to run across the city. Yeah, but, I mean, I had to run to the train in the middle of the train carrying me. <laughs> I didn't run across the whole city. You should have. I don't need that kind of extra. I do need it, but I don't need that kind of exercise. <laughs> yeah, oh big mood. All right, where were we? Where were we? So, yeah, the king helped to pay for part of his education. And Anderson had by then published his first story, The Ghost at Palnatoke's Grave. The what? Exactly. Though not a stellar <laughs> pupil, he also attended school at Elsinore until 1827. So he got two schoolings? Yeah. Wow. Wow. He later said if only his... our government could pay for our education. <laughs> if only the king would pay oh, for our... Oh, wait, we don't have a king, hopefully. We have a dictator. <laughs> The gender-neutral ruler, the queen. <laughs> it's not even a spicy take to say that we have a dictator. Jane, a couple episodes ago, was like, you should murder the president. And we were like, hey, FBI, we're not actually saying you should murder the president. Like, we had to say that. We Disclaimer. Just Disclaimer. Disclaimer. We actually don't mean it. We only kind of mean it. We're just kidding. We're not going to murder the president. <laughs> this isn't like some national treasure situation. <gasps> Can it? We steal the Declaration of Independence and then Don't kill the president. Murder the president. National treasure. I actually, fun fact, have never seen national treasure. Oh, I know what we're doing tonight. <laughs> which yeah. came up last Yee-haw! night in conversation, and I was mocked for never having seen national treasure. The quality history. You as a history major cannot say that National Treasure is a good history movie. I, as a history major, can say that sometimes old documents have weird shit on them. Like Alexander yeah. Hamilton's signature? Yep. Woo. Shelby found a document in the state archives that had Alexander Hamilton's signature on it that they previously didn't know had Alexander Hamilton's signature on it. That's it fantastic. Was the buildings can you put that on your resume? Oh, yeah, can you be like, I found Alexander Hamilton's signature? It's on my cover letter for when I apply to jobs. <laughs> Quality content. My work in the archives, including That's finding a signature. So you can see my attention to detail <laughs> skills. Quality content. <laughs> All right, where were we? Okay. Um, he later said that his years in school were the darkest and most bitter of his life. <laughs> Same. I hate every second. At one school, he, oh, oh no, at one school he lived in his schoolmaster's home where he was abused, being told that it was to improve his character. Oh. And he later said that the faculty had discouraged him from writing. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, so maybe we don't want to go to school for ever, or have the government pay for it, because it could be bad. I mean, it's already bad. <laughs> I mean, at least we're not, like, living in the house with, like, our school's president where she, like... Oh, we live in the dorm right, right in next front to of her house. President's house. At least house. she doesn't beat us up and tell us it's to build character. Uh, no, yeah, she beats she, up our souls, but, like... Yeah. yeah, she removes funding. She says transgender students don't exist. <laughs> um, she says... Racist things. Racist things. Oof, we love drop the N-word all the time. <laughs> not all the time, but her enough only, that it's bad. Her <laughs> only friend is a dictionary. Yeah. Um, she gave a speech about how her only friend growing up was a dictionary. I'm not even joking. Spent $4,000 on an ice sculpture of Santa. <laughs> yeah, there's an ice sculpture of Santa. <laughs> Which, like, is bad considering our school is multicultural. And we don't need to just have Santa And we Santa don't need Claus. to just have... Christmas-related nonsense all over our campus. And for grand fucking ice sculpture. They're obsessed with ice sculptures. They buy them all the time. We've had, like, four ice sculptures this semester. I don't know why. We don't need them. At least they finally started putting them outside so they won't melt. Yeah, that was a thought. They were inside. Inside. You can take it up with the administration. We don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't go here, but why? (laughs) Shockingly, ice sculptures melt when they're in a heated room. What? Now they have to buy more. I know. Did you know? Fucking goddamn. All, All right. right. Moving on. So, moving on to the early works. So, very early fairy tales um, called the Tallow Candle were discovered in a Danish archive in 2012. And, oh, this one's really... It, the story was written in 1820s, and it was about a candle that didn't feel appreciated. And it was written while Hans Christian Andersen was still in school. I, too, am not a candle that's appreciated. <laughs> I mean, no one in this dorm is a candle that's appreciated, because no one appreciates candles, because they almost burn our building down. Are you saying I burn your spirit? <laughs> I'm saying you're not a candle. <laughs> Ow. What if I so wanted to be, be vanilla-scented and burned all the time? You get I'm... mad when I, bur- when I roast you. Roasting is different than lighting on fire. <laughs> Do you you're want not to be wrong. lit on fire? 
I just want to give I just want to end it all. Just eat some romaine lettuce and end my shit right here. <laughs> For future listeners listening at a future date, uh, the U.S. government has currently recalled romaine lettuce. Because E. coli. E. coli. Because fucking Donald Trump lacks regulations on farms and there's dirty water. Yay. That's actually why it's because Yay. of dirty farm water. That's yeah. why we can't hey, eat romaine lettuce. Chipotle brought back its romaine lettuce, though, and I got some, like, last week, and I've been feeling great ever since. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what? <laughs> You're, you have E. coli, Jane. I'm sorry. <laughs> Woo! If this is how you go, so... If this is how I go, <laughs> let it be with a Chipotle bowl. I'm getting Chipotle tonight. Okay, moving oh, on. We are, we're still oh, in jealous. early life, aren't we? <laughs> early work. <laughs> okay. We're 20 minutes away. Okay. He enjoyed considerable success later on with stories such as a journey on foot from Holman's Canal to the east point of Amager. Who can enjoy success? That's such a long title. Ugh. I don't know. So yeah, and he kind of just kept going, and then he got into fairy tales and poetry, and his initial fairy tales weren't really met with recognition because they were mostly just revisions of stories he'd heard as a child, and there was a lot of difficulty in translating them. Mm. But um, in 1837, he um, published a collection including, like, The Tinderbox, The Princess and the Pea, Thumbelina, Little Mermaid, Emperor's New Clothes, like... But they, at first, the quality wasn't recognized, and they sold really poorly. Checks out. But at the same time, he enjoyed the success of two novels. So he was, like, doing okay, you know what I mean? It was a a mixed bag of hats. It really was. And he That's not a real expression. And it's a he just kind of sometimes you get a baseball kind of hat. Writing. He wrote sometimes you get a safari hat. Sometimes you get a bucket hat. <laughs> bucket hats are where it's at. Sometimes you get a cowboy hat, and suddenly your life is all good. <laughs> Yee-haw, motherfuckers! Someone in one of my classes yesterday was wearing a T-shirt that just said "Be the cowboy." <laughs> all class, I was like. What save a horse, ride a cowboy? Flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Twitter bio. I have to leave. You can't call me out like this. I'm sorry. I didn't know I was at a roast. <laughs> I'm at the roast right now. <laughs> oh shit, same. <laughs> I haven't slept in days. What? I haven't slept in days. Oh, oh for God's sakes, let's get through early work. I'm trying! Uh-huh. So, he just kind of kept writing, and he was really inspired by Scandinavia, Scandinavism. Scan, as in, like, something with Scandinavia. Yes, sure. Yes. Yeah. And committed himself to writing a poem that would convey the relatedness of Swedes, Danes, and Norwegians. Why did you say Swedes so high-pitched? Swedes, Swedes. Danes. <laughs> Swedes, Danes. I would say Swedes in a high-pitched voice. Swedes. It's fun. Hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my cave. Not the same thing, but moving on. <laughs> and um, he wrote the text of his poem. I cannot pronounce that, but it translates to "I am Scandinavian." <laughs> it's "Jeg er and Scandinav," which is totally not the correct pronunciation because the only no, language I was, even know was, other than English it. is that was French. <laughs> Um, fantastic. To capture the beauty of the Nordic spirit and the way the three sister nations have gradually grown together. As part of a Scandinavian national anthem, composer Otto Lindblad set the poem to music See. and the composition was published and its popularity peaked in 1845, after which it was seldom sung. So Hans Christian Andersen just like briefly changed Sweden for a hot second. That's, that's, that's good. Yeah. Yes, you do. So, and he just kind of returned to the fairy tale genre after that and wrote, Fairy Tales Told for Children, New Collections, First Booklet. <laughs> and it was The Steadfast Tin Soldier and The Wild Swans. And then he went on to publish, like, The Nightingale and The Ugly Duckling and The Snow Queen and The Little Match Girl. And that's really, and in 1845, there was really his breakthrough for publishing his fairy tales, um, especially because they were translated. The Little Mermaid appeared in the periodical Bentley's Miscellany, followed by a second volume, Wonderful Stories for Ah! Children. (laughs) Sorry, I just hit my entire back on my bed. Oh, no. Like a big dummy. Oh, no. (laughs) It's okay. So, yeah, he um, kept writing fairy tales and publishing them in installments until 1872, Hmm. which is pretty wild. And, um... So Hans Christian Andersen's love life is like Ooh, there's so spicy. much speculation, or lack of spice. Oh, yeah. There's there's a lot of speculation about him. So um, 
In his early life, his private journal records his refusal to have sexual relations. And a big thing was um, he often fell in love with unattainable women, and many of his stories are interpreted as references to that. At one point, he wrote in his diary, Almighty God, the only have I, thou steerest my fate. I must give myself up to thee. Give me a livelihood. Give me a bride. My blood wants love as my heart does. A girl named Riborg Voigt was the unrequited love of Anderson's youth. That's a great name. A small pouch <laughs> containing a long letter from Voigt was found on Anderson's chest when he died, several decades after he first fell in love with her, and after he presumably fell in love with others. Other oh. disappointments in love include Sophie Orsted, the daughter of the physicist Hans Christian Orsted, and Louise Collin, the youngest daughter of his benefactress, Jonas Collins. One of his stories, this one's the most interesting to me, one I of his stories... All these threads. Yeah. One of his <laughs> stories, <laughs> The Nightingale, <laughs> was written as an expression of his passion for Jenny Lind, the really famous singer Jenny Lind, who, um... Showman. From, I also was thinking about the great... She's referencing The Greatest Showman. I haven't seen that. She was a very famous right. singer. Okay, but, um, I'll, ta I'll take and your became, word for it. <laughs> and his story, The Nightingale, actually became the inspiration for her nickname, The Swedish Nightingale. Oh, fuck. Yeah, and that's like, you hear that a lot. Like, you yeah. referring to her as that. Like, that's, I think that's wild. But Anderson was often really shy around women and had extreme difficulty oh, in proposing to Lind. When Lind was boarding a train to go to an opera concert, um, he gave her a letter of proposal, and her feelings towards him were not the same. She said she saw him as a brother, writing to him in 18. Oh. So not just friend-zoned, sibling-zoned. Oh, damn. And she wrote to him, farewell, God bless and protect my brother is the sincerest wish of his affectionate sister, Jenny. Ow! Ooh, yeah. <laughs> and he almost damn. certainly experienced same-sex love as well. He oh. wrote to Edward, 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 Edward Cullen, <laughs> I languish for you Did you as say Edward Cullen? Edward Cullen. Thank you God. said Cullen. That's it. It's Twilight. Twilight. No. It's all Twilight. It's not the Twilight Renaissance. I refuse to accept the Twilight Renaissance. <laughs> I'm on your boat. Shelby's team I, Twilight Renaissance. My roommate and I rewatched the entire oh, no, series within a week. Please don't do this. Yes. It was very good. Yeah. Honestly, it's not that bad. It can hold up. By the time yeah, you get the last up. one, you get Lee Pace in yeah. eyeliner. Yeah. You stay just for that. Yeah. <laughs> And honestly, okay. the books aren't half bad either, I do have to say. It's, like, really smutty teen romance, yeah. but it's, like... they fit that perfect niche back yeah. in the day. I never it's read It's, like, 90% of my friends, I'm pretty sure that was their sexual awakening, they were, yeah. like, hot damn Jacob, and I'm, like, alright, that's, like, bestiality, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's a different awakening. <laughs> okay, back to Edward. <laughs> back to Edward Colin. Colin. <laughs> he wrote to him, I languish for you as for a pretty Calabrian. Colin, oh, as I can't read. No, you can't. <laughs> I languish for you as for a pretty Calabrian wench. My sentiments for you are those of a woman. The femininity of my nature and our friendship must remain a mystery. Colin, who preferred women, wrote in his own memoir, I found myself unable to respond to this love, and this caused the author much suffering. Aww. Likewise, the infatuation of the author for the Danish dancer Harold Scharf and Carl Alexander, the young hereditary Duke of Saxe Weimar. Ice notch. Ice notch. I ice notch. Did not result in any relationships, according to Anne Clara Baum and Anya Arnstrup for the H. C. Anderson Center of University of so Southern Denmark. To conclude, it is correct. It is correct to point to the, to the very ambivalent elements in Anderson's emotional life concerning the sexual sphere, but it is decidedly just as wrong to describe him as homosexual and maintain that he had physical relationships with men. He did not. Indeed, that would have been entirely contrary to his moral and religious ideas, aspects that are quite outside the field of vision of Wolfschlager and her life. Many instead believe that rather than being heterosexual or homosexual, Anderson was bisexual, having romantic feelings for both sexes, but most likely remaining celibate his whole life. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Respect. What a dude. Yeah. Respect. Mad dude. respect for Hans. Also, got it. <laughs> so... In the spring of 1872, Anderson fell out of his bed and was severely hurt, and he never recovered from the resultant injuries. It's it's so, sad, but also so funny, but so sad. He fell Honestly, out of bed. If that's the way I go, that's the way I go. TBH, not mad. That's the way I go. Damn. Like, be like that. It be like that. It just. Soon afterwards, he started to show signs of liver cancer. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But he died on August 4th, 1875 in a house called Rolide, which means calmness, apparently, near Copenhagen, the home of his close friend, the banker Moritz Melchior, and his wife. Moritz Melchior? Spring Awakening? Those are the two characters in Spring Awakening. All right, I'm lost. <laughs> it's a musical. I think they're just German names. I think they're just very German names. But those are also, like, the two main characters. Yeah. But it also means how, that's how I know how to pronounce those two names. Mm. Oh, Okay, um, yeah, that was... Shortly before his death, Anderson had consulted a composer about the music for his funeral, saying most of the people who will walk after me will be children, so make the beat keep it time with little steps. Oh, that's really cute! And his body was interred at the assistance Kierkegaard in the Norabro area of Copenhagen. In the family plot of of the Collinses. That's how you pronounce things. Yeah. Yeah. But in 1914, the stone was moved to another cemetery, which I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Thank you. Where younger Collin family members were buried. And for a period, his Edward Collins and Henrietta Collins' graves were unmarked. A second stone has been erected, marching H.C. Anderson's grave, now without any mention of the Collin couple, but all three still share the same plot. So it's a threesome post-death. Noise. <laughs> Noise. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, let's stop mm, speculating about a skeleton threesome and please can we get to the <laughs> Yeah, um, do you want me to read the- it's a, not a long story. Do we want- Do we want story time? And this is story, story time, time with Mackenzie. Actually- you know what I might do? I might give our special guest the honor. Oh God! Don't don't make her read. <laughs> do you want to read an ASMR story? <laughs> Hi guys. Do you want me to pull the, the mic, mic closer? closer? I hope you're all doing well. Shelby watches a lot of ASMR. <laughs> not to call you out, but like wow. <laughs> Just start off by putting me on blast. That's Ow. mine. I'm just saying you have a familiarity. Uh, this is. The Emperor's New Clothes by Hans Christian Andersen. Please say Hans. <laughs> I'm begging you. I know it's no, there's a character. <laughs> it's it's in, yeah. in, the sh- in, the sh- in the show I grew up in the summer. It's there was- Hans. It's Hans. Hans Wickers Andersen. In the- in the show I directed this summer, there's a character whose name was Hans. And everyone could say Hans. Yeah. Except for the little boy who was playing Hans, oh. who would pronounce it as Hans every time. Hans was doing his best. He was best. doing his best, but God, oh, it was painful. Bean. So this is by Hans Christian Andersen. <laughs> uh, many years ago, there was an emperor who was so very fond of new clothes that he spent all his money on them. He did not trouble about his soldiers. He did not care to go to the theater. He only went out when he had the chance to show off his new clothes. Same. Yeah. Same. Relatable. Why would I go anywhere? <laughs> he had a different suit for each hour of the day. Most kings could be found sitting in council. It was said of the emperor, he is sitting in his wardrobe. He's in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> One day, two fellows calling themselves weavers came to town. They said that they knew how to weave cloth of the most beautiful colors and patterns. The clothes made from this wonderful cloth would be invisible to everyone who was unfit for the job he held or who was very simple in character. So dumb as fuck. (laughs) Translation, dumb as fuck. (laughs) These must indeed be splendid clothes, thought the emperor. If I had such a suit, I might at once find out what men in my kingdom are unfit for their job. I would be able to tell the wise men from the foolish. This stuff must be woven for me immediately. He gave large sums of money to both the weavers in order that they might begin their work at once. Yes, I too want to give large sums (laughs) to random people being like, yes, you make me cloth that makes other people feel dumb. Yes. Yes. Please do that. (laughs) Please. So the two pretend weavers set up two looms, calling them out. They worked very busily, though in reality they did nothing at all. They asked for the finest silk and the purest gold thread. They put both into their own knapsacks. Then they pretended to work at the empty looms until late at night. Sounds like a student in the library. Yep. What? <laughs> Pulling bullshit. <laughs> I should like to know how the weavers are getting on with my cloth, said the emperor to himself one day. When he remembered that a simpleton, one unfit for his job, would be unable to see the cloth, he began to worry. 
To be sure, he thought he was safe. However, he would prefer sending somebody else to bring him news about the weavers and their work. All the people in the kingdom had heard of the wonderful cloth. All were eager to learn how wise or how foolish their neighbors might be. I will send my faithful old wise man to the weavers, the emperor said at last. He will be best able to see how the cloth looks. He is a man of sense. No one can be better for this job than he is. So the faithful old wise man went to the hall where the thieves were working with all their might at the empty looms. What can be the meaning of this, thought the old man, opening his eyes very wide. I cannot find the least bit of thread on these looms. However, he did not say his thoughts aloud. The thieves asked him very kindly to be so good as to come nearer to their looms. Then they asked him whether the cloth pleased him. They asked whether the colors were not very beautiful. All the time they were pointing to the empty frames. The poor old wise man looked and looked. He could not see anything on the looms for a very good reason. There was nothing there. What? thought he again. What? Is what? it possible that I am a fool? <laughs> I have never thought so myself. No one must know it now if I am so. Can it be that I am unfit for my job? Yep. No. The emperor must not know that either. I will never tell that I could not see the stuff. Well, sir, said one of the weavers, still pretending to work, you did not say whether the cloth pleases you. Oh, it is excellent, replied the old wise man, looking at the loom through his spectacles. This pattern and the colors, yes, I will tell the emperor without delay how very beautiful I think them. Honestly, my professor's reading over my essays being like, ah, yes, the connections, I the see analysis. <laughs> the analysis. Oh, spicy. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Good job. All right, That's good plus. sign. <laughs> we shall be much obliged to you, said the thieves. Then they named the many colors and described the pattern of the pretended stuff. The old wise man listened with care to their words so that he might repeat them to the emperor. The thieves asked for more silk and gold, saying that it was necessary to complete what they had begun. Once again, they put all that was given them into their knapsacks. They went on working with as much effort as before at their empty looms. The emperor soon sent another man from his court to see how the weavers were getting on. Now he wanted to know if the cloth would soon be ready. It was just the same with this gentleman as with the wise man. First he looked closely at the looms on all sides. He could see nothing at all but the empty frames. Does the stuff not appear as beautiful to you as it did to my lord, the wise man? Asked the thieves of the emperor's second advisor. I certainly am not stupid, thought the man. <laughs> Me in class. Me <laughs> it must be that I am not fit for my good job. That is very odd. However, no one shall know anything about it. And so he praised the stuff he could not see. He declared that he was happy with both colors and patterns. Indeed, your imperial majesty, he said to his emperor when he returned. The cloth which the weavers are preparing is extraordinarily magnificent. The whole city was t talking of the splendid cloth which the emperor had ordered to be woven. Finally, the emperor himself wished to see the costly material while it was still on the loom. He took many officers of the court and two honest men who had already admired the cloth. As soon as the weavers saw the emperor approach, they went on working faster than ever, although they still did not pass even one thread through the looms. Does the work, is the work, absolutely magnificent, said the two officers of the crown, already mentioned. If your majesty will only be pleased to look at it, what a splendid design, what glorious colors. And at the same time, they pointed to the empty frames, for they imagined that everyone else could see this exquisite piece of workmanship. How is this, said the emperor to himself, I can see nothing. This is indeed a terrible affair. Am I a simpleton? Yes. Or am I unfit to be an emperor? Yes. That would be the worst thing that could happen. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the cloth is charming, said he aloud. I approve of it completely. He smiled most graciously and looked closely at the empty looms. No way would he say that he could not see what the two of his advisors had praised so much. Everyone with the emperor now strained his or her eyes, hoping to discover something on the looms, but they could see no more than the others. Nevertheless, they all exclaimed, Oh, how beautiful, and advised his majesty to have some new clothes made from this splendid material for all the parade that was planned. Magnificent, charming, excellent was called out on all sides. Everyone was very cheerful. The emperor was pleased. He presented the weavers with the emblem of an order of knighthood, the thieves set up the whole of the night before the day on which the parade was to take place. They had 16 lights burning, so 
that everyone might see how anxious they were to finish the emperor's new suit. They pretended to roll the cloth off the looms. They cut the air with scissors and sewed with needles without any thread in them. See, cried they at last, the emperor's new clothes are ready. The emperor, with all the grandees of his court, came to the weavers. The thieves raised their arms as if in the act of holding something up. Here are your majesty's trousers. Here is the scarf. Here is the mantle. The whole suit is light as a cobweb. One might fancy one has nothing at all on when dressed in it. Ah. <laughs> yes, indeed, said all the courtiers, as though none, although not one of them could see anything of this special cloth. The emperor was undressed for a fitting, and the thieves pretended to array him in his new suit. The emperor turned round and from side to side before the looking glass. How splendid his majesty looks in his new clothes, and how well they fit, everyone cried out. What a design! What colors! These are indeed royal robes. I am quite ready, said the emperor. He appeared to be examining his handsome suit. The lords of the bedchamber, who were to carry his majesty's train, felt about the ground as if they were lifting up the ends of a mantle. They then pretended to be carrying something, for they would by no means want to appear foolish and not fit for their jobs. The emperor walked under his high canopy in the midst of the procession, below the streets of his capital. All the people standing by, those at the window, cried out, Oh, how beautiful are our emperor's new clothes! What a magnificent train there is to the mantle, and how gracefully the scarf hangs! No one would admit that these much-admired clothes could not be seen, because in doing so, he would have been saying he was either a simpleton or unfit for his job. But the emperor has nothing at all on, said a little child. Listen to the voice of the child, exclaimed his father. What the child had said was whispered from one to another. But he has nothing at all on. At last, cried out all the people. The emperor was upset, for he knew that the people were right. However, he thought the procession must go on now. The lords of the bedchamber took even greater pains than ever to appear holding up a train, although... In reality, there was no train to hold, and the emperor walked on in his underwear. So, can you tell Shelby and I did theater in high school? Yeah, for I dramatic. Can I can tell. Honestly, <laughs> let's just acknowledge the fact that the um, emperor has a big dick for just being like, <laughs> honestly, it. for being like, let's just keep it going. Let's go for it. I do like that he had underwear on him. Yeah, yeah. Because I've always heard that he was just naked. Yeah. I forget, when you yeah. said the emperor has a big dick, I thought you meant, like, yeah, he's completely naked and showing off Here his it big is. dick. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that that's how it be. You know? Yeah. You know Sometimes. how it be? Yep. Well, thank you for that dramatic reading. Yes. I really appreciate it. How does it feel to have, have uh, to have really been on this podcast so far? Terrifying. Really? <laughs> I tried well. to make the reading extra dramatic. It, it, it worked. I thought it was fantastic. It was thank lovely. you so much. Yeah. All right. Should we crack a lack into what I'm chatting about? We can, we sure can, can crack a lack. All right, so this week, going off of this idea that if no one can see the cloth, they must be a simpleton, or not right in the head, or, you know, not smart enough. Dumb as fuck. Dumb as fuck. <laughs> um, so, flir- <laughs> Fuck! You were just making fun of me for not being out of grounds, Danish names, and here you are. No, it's, you know, you know the thing where, like, if you look at a word for long enough, it doesn't look like a real word, and yeah. then your brain forgets how to say it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's happening. I think it's pluralistic. That sounds right. Pluralistic yeah. ignorance is a situation in which a majority of group members privately reject a norm, but incorrectly assume that most others accept it, and therefore, go along with it. This is also described as, no one believes, but everyone thinks that everyone believes. This is similar to conformity, which is the act of matching attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors to group norms. Norms are implicit, specific rules shared by a group of individuals that guide their interactions with others. For instance, in the United States, shaking hands with people, holding doors, looking people directly in the eye when speaking to them. Uh, people often choose to conform to society rather than to pursue personal desires because it is often easier to follow the path others had made already, rather than creating a whole new one. This tendency to conform, conform, man, words are not words today. This tendency to conform occurs in small groups and or society as a whole, and may result from subtle unconscious influences or direct and over social pressure. Conformity can occur in the presence of others or when an individual is alone. For example, people tend to follow social norms when eating or watching television, even when alone. So using, like, 
forks, chewing with your mouth closed. People do that alone anyway. So going back to pluralistic ignorance, there have been a number of studies on how the process works in realistic settings. Prentice and Miller found that on average, private le levels of comfort when, well, bleh, bleh. let's try again. Prentice and Miller found that on average, private levels of comfort with drinking practices on campus, which were lower than the perceived average. In the case of men, they found a shifting of private attitudes towards this perceived norm, a form of cognitive dis dissonance. Cognitive dissonance being the mental discomfort experienced by a person who simultaneously holds two or more contradictory beliefs, ideas, or values. So basically, guys think that everyone wants to drink a lot, and then they don't want to drink a lot, so they're like, oh my god, I don't know what I'm doing, this is cognitive dissonance. <laughs> Women, on the other hand, who found who were found to have an increased sense of alienation on campus, but lacked the attitude change detected in men, presumably because norms related to alcohol consumption on campus are much more central for men than for women, which like, I would agree with. Mm -hmm. Research has shown that pluralistic ignorance plagues not only those who indulge, but also those who abstain from gambling, smoking, drinking, and among some who follow vegetarianism. Mm-hmm. You all whip to look at me like I'm like stay hey. in. Like what is that? Wait, what does that fit? So it's like the latter has found that pluralistic ignorance can be caused by the structure of the underlying social ne network, not cognitive dissonance. So I think in this case, it didn't really further explain it on mm -hmm. what I was reading. But why vegetarians? I don't get that. <laughs> I am wondering. Sorry, I just feel called out. <laughs> I can tell. Shook it. Basically. I, like, it seems like the majority of vegetarians, they, they, they reject mm -hmm. eating things that are animals. Yeah. But, like, at the same time, they're like, I, I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. I'm not sure. Really not sure. Now I feel called out for not doing my research. Well, we'll get back to you guys later at a later date. We'll, we'll update. We'll, we'll update. How many times have we said that and then not so done many that? Times. So many times. Do we say that a lot? Yeah. We're like, we'll maybe, deal with this maybe next Maybe you week. should just send us a list and we'll do an entire <laughs> episode of just updates. Honestly, we could. We could. For your hundredth episode. <laughs> this is episode what? Ten, maybe. This is episode twelve. What? Twelve or thirteen? Holy shit. Yeah. I've edited 12 or 13 yeah, episodes. That means I've matched teas for 11 or 12 episodes because yes. I didn't have a real tea today. Ha ha. Ha ha. All right. The I think theory... I'm clever. <laughs> nice. The theory of pluralistic ignorance was studied by Floyd Henry Alport and his students Daniel Katz and Richard Shanak. Uh, he produced studies of racial stereotyping and prejudice and attitude change, and his pursuit of the connections between individual psychology and social systems helped to found the field of organizational psychology. Hmm. Elizabeth Noel Newman, in her Spiral of Silence Theory, which is hella interesting and I recommend that everyone go mm -hmm. and look into that, argued that media biases led to plural, pluralistic ignorance. Pluralistic ignorance has also been blamed for a large majority of the public remaining silent on climate change. <laughs> While solid majorities of American of the American and UK public are concerned about climate change, most erroneous be erroneously believe that they are the minority with their concern. It's been suggested that pollution-intensive industries have contributed to the public's underestimation of public support for climate solutions. For example, in the US, uh, support for pollution pricing is high, yet public perception of public support is much lower. Wording on that is weird, but basically mm -hmm. I think it's because there's so much support for pollution-intensive industries. Yeah. Everyone's like, yeah, everyone must support that. So, that's great. <laughs> Men's Thanks, Trump. Thanks, Trump. We're Men's all gonna drown. We're all gonna fucking drown. You right? <laughs> yeah, your city's super fucked. Yeah. Love being on a coastal city. Yeah, it's great. It's a good time. <laughs> Men's conceptions of how they are experienced to conform to norms. Oh, that's not experience. Men's conceptions of how they are expected to conform to norms of masculinity present additional examples of pluralistic ignorance. Specifically, most men are uncomfortable with other men bragging about sexual acts and giving details, 
but erroneously believe themselves to be in the minority of their discomfort. Well, their discomfort. damn. At all men. Do we have any male listeners? No. <laughs> I just realized I was going to be like, at all men. But then I realized. You're not alone. Others don't like talking Others. about sexual prowess either. <laughs> Similarly, men underestimate other men's desire to make sure they have consent when sexually active. So basically, there's an under underestimate that, like, other guys don't want to get consent. Mm -hmm. So they're like, yeah, consent's not a thing because, like, nobody else wants to get consent. No, consent's a fucking thing. I swear to fucking God. <laughs> Jade and I will hunt you down. I will also Seriously. hunt you down. We will all hunt you down. Any of our listeners never ask cons for consent, just fucking turn it off right now. I'm done. I'm over this whole <laughs> non-consenting bullshit. We're going to reach through your headphones. <laughs> and just we are grab going to you by the throat. You. <laughs> That's aggressive. All right. I mean, you've had a fair warning. We might have male listeners. We might have FBI agents listening <gasps> after we Hi, maybe threaten to kill the president. Hi, Dave. Hi, George. Well, I hope they always ask for consent. consent. <laughs> yeah, this goes for you, too. Watching you. Hope you guys have cookies and snacks. <laughs> because this is a long episode. <laughs> Alright. This role conflict has ha has very intense consequences for men's physical and mental health as well as society, you know. Yeah. Rape happens. And uh rape happens. Pluralistic ignorance has been linked to a wide range of consequences. For example, for example, Yep, we're doing great. <laughs> Victims of pluralistic ignorance see themselves as deviant members of their peer group, less knowledgeable than their classmates, more uptight than their peers, less committed to the, than their fellow board members, less competent than their fellow nurses. These were just examples. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, just don't worry about it. This can leave them feeling bad about themselves and alienated from the group of, or institution of which they are a part of. In addition, pluralistic ignorance can lead groups to persist in policies and practices that have lost widespread support. This can lead college students to persi persist in heavy drinking, corporations to persist in failing strategies, and governments to persist in unpopular foreign policies. Hmm. Hmm. At the same time, it can prevent groups from taking actions that would be beneficial in the long run, actions to intervene in an emergency, for example, or to initiate a personal relationship. Pluralistic ignorance can be dispelled and its negative consequences alleviated through education. For example, students who learn that, that support for heavy drinking practices is not as widespread as they thought, they will themselves drink less and feel more comfortable with the decision not to drink. Alcohol intervention programs now routine, routinely employ the strategy to, com, to com, combat problem drinking on campus. So, yeah, pluralistic ignorance is a thing, and make sure you're watching out for it, because nine times out of ten, a perception that you have about society or of a norm is most likely not... Not the norm. Not the norm. Not the real thing. It's that there is a vocal majority in our society, in our world, in our country, in every aspect of life, that dominates the wavelengths, and then those wavelengths are sent to every other person in the world, or right, raising generations, and those then those generations are like, yeah, fuck it, that's great. Hey, baby boomers, you fucked up a lot of shit, and I'm still mad. <laughs> <laughs> when did this podcast become Jane McKenzie and Shelby roast baby boomers? About 45 seconds ago, but baby boomers fucked up so much, and then we just keep accepting the norms that they have presented, that's even though true. society has changed. That's true. Yeah. I don't remember exactly where it was, but I know there's, like, a specific college fraternity that is used in all of those movies, like Animal House, that depict yes. incredibly heavy drinking and terrible college fraternity practices. It's based on this one uh, frat, and then they think that they have to perform to that level of, like, yes. 80s college movie, and then yes. it's this vicious cycle where the movies get I... more and more extreme, and then the school tries, the kids try to match it. I would, I want, I I know about this. I'm pretty sure that's the college my dad attended. Like, I'm 100% yeah. sure that's the college my dad attended. See, the problem is when nice. I think of frat, uh, yeah. frats and sororities, I mostly just think of Sydney White. <gasps> Iconic! <laughs> I, I showed you that movie, right? Yeah, you did yeah. twice. And that sorority is so mean. 
Yeah, yeah they're, they're a bunch s- of dicks. So but mean. also, the main mean girl is Aquamarine, and that's the only thing that matters <laughs> anymore, is that she- Sarah Paxton. Sarah Paxton, goddamn, Aquamarine, bring it back, part two. Aquamarine, part two. Part two, part two they're actually legal now. <laughs> what? You remember they're like 14 in the movie? Oh, yeah. But they're thirsting after a 19-year-old boy who's like off to college? Yeah, and it was bad. Yeah, it was, it was real bad. I rewatched Scott Pilgrim last night for the first time since high school, and he opens that movie as a twenty-two-year-old with a seventeen-year-old girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, it's another one. That yeah, I, I watched realized that one back in the day. Yeah, why are there so many movies from like that time that have very wide age gaps that no one addresses? Like Aquamarine, the age gap in that is kind of fucked. Because mm-hmm. yeah. it's like she just graduated middle school is supposed to be. Yeah, it's like going into their ninth grade year. Yeah. They're like, I want to start ninth grade with a boyfriend, but he's going off to college. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't tell, we got beef. We all got mad beef. <laughs> so much beef. All right. Well, I can make things better okay. with my funky fact. Yeah. So this week. We all have to admit that the con artists in uh, The Emperor's New Clothes uh, were pretty damn fucking good. Oh, yeah. They were good. Um, But I feel like we get a ton of male representation for con artists, uh, but we never talk about the impressive ladies who dominate the con. So first up, we have Big Bertha Heyman. (gasps) Is this who Big Bertha's named after? No, that was, she just was named after what I named my ass, but that's fine. Can we have, uh, <laughs> Jane drives, how do I explain her? It's a uh, 2000, like, she's a thick ass 2004 Volvo station wagon. <laughs> I fucking love her. Her name is Bertha, and we she call her Big rusting. Bertha. She's rusting, but her trunk space. <laughs> Sometimes we call her Big Booty Bertha. Big Booty Bertha. <laughs> She's so, doing her best. that's what she I honestly, honest to God, I was ready to say, like, yeah, you named Bertha after this con artist. <laughs> no, that's what I nicknamed my ass in, like, fourth grade. Hey, nice. what the fuck? <laughs> I had nothing better to do, so I was like, yeah, my butt's big, I'm gonna need a big booty Bertha. And then I named my car. <laughs> what I named my butt. <laughs> I never said I was mentally stable. I like the accent you slipped into here. I don't know what it is. I don't know either. But I like it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Alright, known as the Confidence Queen. She gets so good. Oh, this is literally you and your car. <laughs> known as the Confidence Queen in the late 19th century, Bertha Heyman was a Prussian uh, migrant who specialized in scamming wealthy men. Hell yeah. She'd pretend to be a rich European widow unable to access her fortune. <laughs> her victims delighted in rescuing her, keen to get their hands on both Bertha and her missing money. Bertha is quoted as saying, But I delight in getting into the confidence and pockets of men who think they can't be skinned. It ministers my intellectual pride. So she's a fucking gem. Yeah. I'm so proud of her. I right? love her. Right? Like, her entire thing was... Because there so, there's a lot of male con artists that... Um, I, I listen to, like, a wine... Like, a wine... Wine and, and Crime? Wine and Crime. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. podcast. 10 out of 10. Recommend. Um, but they were talking about a con artist who would, like scam women into mm-hmm. who like very wealthy women just being very ca- charismatic and look yeah. at big booty Bertha Heyman turning the tables yeah. oh how the tables have turned. oh how the turns have <laughs> tables all right next we have Barbara Ernie throughout the 18th century Ernie would travel uh Lichtenstein 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 is that it is yeah. it Lichtenstein yeah, yeah. What show was that in? I don't know. I'm good at European countries. Okay. Liechtenstein, dressed as a woman of wealth and privilege, she would always bring a large, ornate trunk along with her. Arriving at inns, she would insist that it be stored in the most secure room of the building. Late at night, an accomplice would climb out of the trunk and steal everything of value from the room before climbing back into the luggage. Hey, what? So it was a giant ass trunk. It was a giant ass trunk. There would be a person in it, and they would put all the stolen goods in the trunk. Yeah, she didn't. She didn't get arrested for years. (laughs) Let's keep that in mind. She didn't get arrested for years. Wild. Nobody ever opened the trunk. Nope. Nope. Dropped it and heard an oof. Nope. Nope. Or the person inside was just committed. Yeah. I mean, they probably made a shit ton of money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, that's terrifying though. Imagine like. I don't know, you're trying to get your luggage out or something, and there's just, like, this person crawling out of a trunk. Like, trunks come back. Oh, All boy. right. 
Our next fabulous lady is Elizabeth Bigley, who is more famously known as Cassie Chadwick, who claimed to be the illegitimate daughter of Andrew Carnegie. Ooh. <laughs> Rather than asking for money, she claimed the billionaire had showered her with riches in an effort to keep her quiet. The story got out, and banks soon came to her, offering her loans. It was estimated she took the financial institutions of 10 to $20 million before dying in prison in 1906. Wait, how did that one work? Banks so, would just give her loans because they were like, uh, yes. you're wealthy. You're connected to a famous wealthy man. Yeah, it was like she would say, oh, I'm the illegitim uh, illegitimate yeah. daughter, and um, Andrew Carnegie, like, lied to, like, lied to people saying he yeah. didn't have me and he showered me in riches and then Banks would be like, you need to fucking shut up. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And it was like, they, they were like, here, take a loan. Be a little more quiet. Or it was either like, you need to shut up or we can support you yeah. because we don't like Andrew. <laughs> God damn it, Andrew. I thought we, do we like Andrew? We do. He did a lot of Charity work. Oh, right? Okay, I was like, I can never work. remember which of those, like, it, tycoons from that mm -hmm. period of time we like and dislike. Well, he did he a build a bunch of libraries. He built a lot of he libraries, library. but it was a lot of... Anyways, our town. But it was a lot of libraries, but it, he, it was racist. Yeah, but I mean, like, most of the tycoons were racist. Awful. So, at least he did something good. It, Rockefeller's the one we fucking hate. Yeah, right? I think we hate <laughs> Rockefeller. All right, just check. You're yeah, a history sure. major. Oh, we just uh, watched Cradle of Rock in my Ooh. theater and society class, and I, it's Rockefeller, and he commissioned Diego Rivera to do a portrait for Rockefeller Center, and Rivera tried to put Lenin in it, and there was some artistic differences there, and then mm. Rockefeller had that taken down. I think they carved it out of the wall and like took the portrait out and then put something else in its place, but... Yeah. Uh, Diego got super fired for trying to put Lenin on the wall of Rockefeller Center. I mean, oh. iconic. Yeah, honestly. So, not bad. Alright, next we have the Fox Sisters. While they performed their greatest scam as just children, and while they made very little money, the Fox Sisters are responsible for igniting the 19th century spiritualistic movement. The girls claimed they could talk to the ghost of a previous tenant in their house. Visitors would hear a rapping noise each time the girls spoke to him. The girls were celebrities for most of their life until in 1888. Maggie admitted they were frauds in, their mem in her memoir, The Death Blow to Spiritualism. She confessed that the sisters had clicked their toes against the wooden floor to make the rapping sound. They got away with that for how long? Just for literally their, their entire life. How dumb are- I thought white people deserve to be scammed. Like, <laughs> honestly, 90% of these- actually, all these scams would not fucking work in the 20th yeah, no. century because everyone just has Google, but, security like- Security cameras, I too. I'm fucking... thinking the Trump thing. I'm like, man, there's security cameras <laughs> I am room. mad about the fact that we have technology. I just want to scam a wealthy man out of all of his money and then be like, oops, arsenic. Okay. There's a John Mulaney bit where he's like- all you had to do was not be there when the cops showed up, and you had a 90% chance of getting away with it. There was a of blood in the hallway. Better clean and that up. Uh, before there was DNA, how you could get away with anything. Yeah. Seriously! <laughs> we've done fucked up with this new age technology. No, I kind of like being able to find out who murdered people, you know? Yeah, but I want to scam some of them No, I know first. I want to scam people. I want to have a fake flickering light and convince people that it's their dead relatives and they should pay me for it. Or just a crystal ball that slightly fogs up some days and be like, ah, oh, yes, the spirits are talking to me. They think you should let your dog more outside more often. He's cold. You could still, you could still, you could, you could, do, you could do that. You could do a crystal ball. No! Yeah. It doesn't work like that. You need, like, projectors and shit now to make it actually look effort. legit. You need effort. I don't want to put in effort. I just want to tell people that their lives are falling apart. Actually, I am doing that. I'm a psychologist. Yeah. Never mind. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Uh, lastly, we have... It's... It's Therese, but it's French, so it's Therese. like... It's like Therese. Therese. Like in Carol. Um, <laughs> have you seen Carol? Nope. Why am I friends with straight people? <laughs> 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 Lastly, we have Therese, 
Hopper <laughs> also claimed to be an heir to a great fortune. She claimed that the family fortune of imaginary American millionaire Robert Crawford was locked in a large safe. After saving Crawford's life, she had been given the safe in his will, under the condition that it not be opened until her younger sister Marie was old enough to marry Crawford's nephew. In 1879, Humbert took out a large loan against the safe and used the money to furnish an extravagant lifestyle. But in 1901, okay, so like almost 30 years later, <laughs> in 1901, her impatient creditor sued her and obtained a court order that the fabled safe be opened. All that was inside was a brick and a single English halfpenny. <laughs> Wait, how did that one work? How did she get money from that? She used the... Safe full of money in air quotes as collateral for the yeah. loan. Okay. She like, used yeah, sure, we believe it. Okay. And she was what was happening is she was trying to get like she was trying to say it couldn't be opened until her little sister yeah. had already married the nephew so that they would already get the inheritance. Yeah. Even mm -hmm. though the guy literally never fucking existed, so there was never a nephew to marry. Yeah. Yeah. That's which wild. honestly is fucking genius. Yeah. In my opinion, if you can use your willpower, your feminine wiles to be like, yes, I have a large safe of money. Give me money. You can live out so long. She lived almost 30 years of the good, good life. You know she had a monkey. <laughs> is that the, the like, that standard? That is the standard of wealth. You have a monkey. Mm -hmm. That's, that's all I got. <laughs> just some, just some fancy con ladies. Just some wealthy monkeys. Yeah. Yep. That's, 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 that's all I got. Any questions, comments, or concerns? Maybe some concerns. Concerns. <laughs> Do share. Just in general. About me? <laughs> when you set up an office someday, are you still going to have a crystal ball in it? Or? Yes. Yeah, no, no. If I, if I, like, in my private practice, yeah. as I'm telling people about why their lives are so messed up, I'm just going to have a, um crystal ball that every so often I'm just going to rub and be like, oh, yes, thank you. And then tell them the information just to sort of say. The spirits are telling me. The spirits are telling me that, yes, you really need to stop drinking, Janice. <laughs> the spirits are telling me, Kobe, maybe get out of this relationship. You can do better. <laughs> that is the fortune teller I will be. <laughs> this is my life. This is why I'm getting a college degree. Mm -hmm. And then a master's degree. And then a doctorate. Can't let your sister beat you. <laughs> She's six years older. She was going to beat me regardless. No, but, like, you, she can't be more educated than you. Like, you got to be on that same level. Well, yeah. Which we, is the goal. My parents already said that we're literally, like, not allowed back in the house unless we're both doctors by the age of, like, 30. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Dad, awesome. don't you know I just want to get, like, a Winnebago and just go travel the universe? <laughs> Like, I don't want to be a person. <laughs> Anyways, this is... Hey, hey, you had me monologuing. Stop that. <laughs> hey. All right. Shelby, how do you think it went? How are you feeling? It was fun. I'm glad... I'm so glad that you were able to join yes. us on our podcast. I like that you picked a cool short story. Yeah. got to just read the whole thing. Everyone got to experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was great. And we got to talk about some... Some things. Some wealthy monkeys. Some wealthy monkeys and... My wow. bright future. My bright, bright future. Oh, it's so shiny. <laughs> wow. It's as shiny as this microphone. Our microphone's black and that's her full <laughs> language. <laughs> it's a little shiny. It's pink somewhere. That is the dullest thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh my god, and on that note, we're ending. Thanks so much for listening to Spilling Tea. The tea is spilled, the covers are closed. See you next week. Bye! Bye.